Uh, right then, should we crack on with the show? Uh, yeah, go on then. Right, <laughs> here we go then. Oh, and I've been busy. I've actually done a new intro. Now, this, I want, no, hold your thoughts. All I want you to say at the end is can you guess my inspiration? Are you ready? Go on then. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Coming up on this episode of the Essential Apple Podcast, Mark rants about Apple TV, Apple TV comes to the Apple TV, Amazon Prime comes to the Apple TV, and Patreon decides that we're too small and we're too poor to be on their platform. All this and more in this week's podcast. Hey, mm. hey, what do you think of that then? Hey, hey, I know. I, I there's some part of me that's actually going, I'm actually quite proud of that. Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the grand tour is back on TV, so I'm a little bit happier that there's actually something to watch for an hour and 10 minutes in the week. <laughs> well, I mean, Christ, where do we go after that? There's, there's no other way but dang, uh, as he tries to adjust his microphone levels again. Oh, what a week, Simon. How are you? Have you recovered from last the last episode? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Um, I have had a bit of a nasty cough and a blemmy head cold this week, which has put me off my stride a little. But uh, uh, no, other than that, I'm pretty good. And uh, later on, I'll tell you a bit more about the SSD saga, because I've had some more fun and games, uh, mostly of my own making, I'll admit. But uh, I learned one or two handy things doing that, so I'll, I'll tell you about that later. Yeah, oh, and uh, backups, uh, follow up on backups. I still haven't done it, but I did. Enough was enough this week. I took the, uh, took the plunge and formatted my phone and restored from backup. And it seems a little bit more responsive, but I think the battery is just knackered now because I went out for a walk before the show and I had, oh probably about 80% battery and it's about five degrees outside and I went out and just did 20 minutes and by the time I got back the battery was dead dead itty dead dead so yes I think in the new year it's gonna have to be getting a battery for it oh well this is where the problem lies is because I shouldn't be so nervous about blasting my phone because I should have faith in the iCloud in the iTunes backup and everything like that but I don't so it just gets to a point where it's like what can I afford to lose? And basically, there's a, there's a lot of messages on there I want to keep. But basically, as long as my photos are backed up and I haven't lost any sort of documents that I've been working on because they're all in the cloud, I just took the plunge and did it. And you know what? It worked relatively well. Even though, what was that app you recommended to me? Was it iMazing? Yes. Was that the one? iMazing Lite, yes. Yes. I had a play with that and it didn't seem to do anything because I was deleting a load of stuff and I'd go back onto my phone and it was still there. It would uninstall apps, but when I was like deleting or oh, so many podcasts that haven't been played for over a year, uh, they just didn't delete. So I had to go and delete them manually. So I'm sort of wondering, I think what happened to my phone, there must have been a little bit of corruption because I remember installing an iOS update uh, and it rolled it back. And unfortunately, like the idiot that I am, I deleted the picture. But now, at least my phone is a little bit better. It's not a horrible, saggy, blimmin' mess of clunkiness. It's working. Uh, but yes, what a week it's been, though, for the world of Apple. It's basically been all Apple TV, uh, as as the promo uh, is obviously leading us to believe. So where do we start? Well, Amazon Prime has come to the Apple TV. And just as I thought I would, I'm watching way more Amazon because I don't have to get out my phone, find the program, airplay it. And then if I want to use my phone, don't open too many apps because it might close Amazon Prime. Uh, and it's not been too bad. It, it's a little bit laggy, though. I mean, have you got an Apple TV? I really can't remember. Uh, yes, I have an Apple TV, uh, both a three and a four. Um, and... Despite the fact I've been waiting for the Amazon Prime TV to come to the Apple TV uh, this week, I haven't actually opened it yet. <laughs> it's You can tell it's basically just a web front end pulling a lot of data because there's that little bit of lag going between screens. It doesn't feel like a truly optimised app, but I don't care because I'm watching the Grand Tour and I'll go on record as saying... 
I actually enjoyed this week's episode. I thought it was a bit like the um, the one on BBC Two when it was good. Okay. Uh, one else. Um, now, also, the Apple TV app, or is it the TV app? Or, or what are you going to call it? Because do you just call it TV on Apple TV, or do you call it Apple TV TV? <laughs> yeah, now, this, this I, I've seen some stuff about what, what is this one, Mark? Because I'm, I'm slightly baffled. I haven't actually... As I say, I've been rather wrapped up this week, so I did make sure that I'd got my Amazon Prime installed, but uh, then some people started going on about Apple TV on Apple TV, and I was a bit... Yeah, it's... The best way I can sort of summarise it, because I'm writing a review on this, it's basically a content aggregator where it's pulling in shows from sources more about that in a second and then displaying them on your iphone on your ipad and your apple tv now it's a little bit confusing in a way because you don't it only shows you content for the apps that you've got installed which confused me to start off with because i was just rushing through and trying to have a look at it to get more content, you have to download apps, not shows or TV stations. Or I would I would have preferred a different um, name than the word app. But once you've got that app installed, it shows you content from there. So, for example, right now, I've got Amazon Prime, uh, BBC, and iTunes on mine. And just having a look through now, he says grabbing his phone, there is a load more to come. Now... The, the obvious elephant in the room here is that there's no Netflix, which kind of makes a bit of sense because it's obviously some sort of exclusive launch deal to get them going. And my internet is no shocking, or is it the Apple TV app that's shocking? I don't know. So let me give you an example here. So if you want to go and find more shows, you actually have to go into the store scroll down to the bottom and you've got a selection of Amazon Prime Video, BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, My5, Mubi, M-E-B-I, Hopster, Sundance, Shudder, Curiosity Something and Classics. So the content's all right. I would have liked to seen Channel 4 on there. Uh, but the obvious big thing I would really love to see would be Now TV coming to it because obviously that's where all the main shows go these days and that's where all the movies come from but it's not a bad start not a bad start it's a little bit laggy i've been finding and it, it's not my internet connection but it's fast becoming a bit of a default now and what's strange now is i'm delving into the tv app and netflix is coming second whereas before it used to be netflix first and then everything else second hmm. um so all in all, it's not too bad. I just really, really hope it's not one of those apps that gets released by Apple and they do a few content deals to start with and then that's it because otherwise it's just going to be... Yeah. Uh, you don't just... Yes, it's handy to have everything in one place, but what kind of makes it a bit different unless that's the main USP and that doesn't make any sense, I've just realised. So what you're saying is it's a bit like Apple News. Yeah, in fact, that is a very, very good analogy. Yeah. In fact, it even has the same sort of GUI and the same uh, same look at it as well. Um, but for what I can see, I haven't tried this yet. It's still got the annoyance of you have to sign in to every single app. There's no unified sign-on. So for every app you've got, you've got to go in the store. And I know that's very, just a very small problem. And if you've got an iPhone and you've got one password, it's basically a doddle to absolutely do. But yeah, I like it. It's early days. I'm hoping that the Prime TV app will speed up a little bit. The only thing I would say is that when you launch a show, all it's pretty much doing, it then just spins up the app of that show. So for example, if you want to watch something on the BBC, you go to watch Peaky Blinders and it basically launches the BBC iPlayer app. And that's on the that that's a little bit laggy. It's on the borderline of not being too laggy, but if it gets any more laggier, then it's going to get annoying. If that right. makes sense? Yes, I do. I know exactly what you mean. It's just uh, you know, it's not actually stuttering, but uh... no, it's basically dropping. Basically, it's killing the Apple TV app and then launching the app of the show that you want to use. So. And I just would have thought it would be a little bit snappier on the fourth gen Apple TV, even though I haven't got the the fancy schmancy um, HDR one. No, well, I've I've not got an HDR one. That's, you know, just got an Apple TV four. 
And it, it, again, it would have been nice for maybe something like BT Sport to come onto the platform, but it's like all these sports channels. They don't want to come on there because if you've got an internet connection, they're worried about you pirating it. And it's like, well, it takes a lot of effort to do that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, all in all, it's not a bad experience. It's still really early days. But like I say, you're just hoping that maybe in six months time, Netflix will drop on there. And then that's where the real fun starts uh, because then it's all like, if Netflix drops on there, Amazon drop on there, it'll either go one of two ways, maybe, won't it? It'll either be, well, this is so big now you have to be on here, or it's so big you're not going to get noticed on here. Mm, true, true. Well, time will tell, Mark. Time will tell. Um, I, I, part of me says, really, what is the point? And the other part of me says, but we're all lazy sods, really, aren't we? And if you can just open one app and choose your program from there, why not? Um I mean, it's like Apple News. When Apple News first launched, I was like, I I don't get this at all. But now it's kind of my default. I used to use RSS. I still have an RSS reader. But to be honest, I get most of my stuff from Apple News now. Um, Zite used to be the go-to app for that, didn't it? um, Well, I use Reader. But um, because I like Apple News, I I really certainly... I I know the initial rollout, the the GUI was not... You know, the interface was a bit clunky. Um, But now it's, it's really good and I like it a lot so I I could see the Apple TV thing becoming uh, quite popular actually I hope so I mean it's also good in a way that when you find the show to launch if you want to you can buy it which is an unobvious thing and this I'm, it's for a first generation swing of this it's not too bad it really isn't well I'll have to have a look at it I must admit well, uh, well, not there'll be anything worth watching over. Oh no, there will be something worth watching over Christmas because Elf is on there. <laughs> and did you see my um my Facebook post in the week? Uh, the ruination of this country is now confirmed, and we might as well just all descend into anarchy, because there was a government poll sponsored by YouGov, and the poll was: Is Die Hard a Christmas film? <laughs> Now, everybody knows the answer to this, that yes, Die Hard is a Christmas film. It's set in Christmas. You watch it at Christmas. It is, quintessentially, a Christmas film, but not according to the government. Oh, no. They've commissioned a study where they say Die Hard is not a Christmas film. (laughs) Surely they had something better to do with the money. Really, you would think you would think you would think it's uh, I, I admire you, girl, for trying to have a bit of a sense of humor. But if I can find the link, I will put that on there. Oh, the world today has gone balmy, all of it balmy, <laughs> of it. I tell you, completely balmy. Get off my lawn, exactly. So, that's the grand tour covered. That's the Apple TV covered. That's Amazon Prime or oh, the Prime Video app. We've covered that as well. Um, so yeah, um. You've had a bit of a week, haven't you? You've had some SSD shenanigans. Now, last week, you were saying that you were going to keep all your, you know, the SSD was going to be purely for your OS, and then you were going to shift your applications to an external drive, but things didn't go too well, did they? Well, the, the thing with that, Mark, was that because I'm not rich, I couldn't afford an enormous SSD. So the SSD I bought is a 275 gigabyte and my rotational hard drive is a one terabyte drive. And obviously I knew that I would not fit all of my hard drive onto the SSD. Now, last week I had literally pretty much just installed the SSD before we did the show. So I was running the OS from the SSD and I I'd done a. I'd put the applications were still on the hard drive, and um, yes, what I was planning to do was I thought, well, I'll keep the applications on the rotational drive, and I will uh, get my the OS and my user account on the SSD, and that is what I did. And for uh, most of the week, that's run fine. There were a couple of apps that wouldn't run that way, but everything seemed fine. And then I got the uh, ten. 13.2 combo update, uh, which obviously is supposed to fix various things. So, uh, and being as I'm on the beta, I assume that brings me up to the official release. So I installed that and uh, it put all of the Apple default apps in the applications folder on the SSD, but none of them had any icons and they wouldn't launch. 
um, and they were broken. But I couldn't remove them and I couldn't replace them. So I had to go back to my clone drive, boot from the clone, remove that applications folder. And I, I thought about putting just the Apple default apps in the applications folder. But then I thought, well, how much space have I actually got left on this SSD? And I did actually have about 135 gig left. So I went and checked the size of my applications folder and it was nowhere near as big as I, I thought it was. So um, I think it was about 30 gig. So I copied, I, I put all of my applications onto the SSD, which still gives me about 100 gig free. And uh, I, now it's sorted. So um, yeah, there's a lesson for you. Um, probably best not to move your applications from the applications folder. And if you do, don't move the Apple default ones because that bite you on the bum. <laughs> Uh, or just be like me, just don't have a backup. That, that <laughs> seems to be my strategy at the moment. Well, no, uh, because if I hadn't had my clone drive, Mark, I really would have been in a bit of a pickle. It would have been reinstall the OS and do the whole shenanigans all over again. So, no, what I what I did was boot from my clone, remove the applications folder, copy the applications folder from, uh, from the hard drive to the SSD, delete the applications folder from the hard drive and reboot and now everything is fine and i have to say that uh, the hundred pounds i spent on the uh, ssd and the kit to fit it has been money well spent this feels like a new machine the improvement in speed is unbelievable it, it's one of those things i know everybody says it everybody's been telling us for ages that putting an ssd in an older mac is the best thing you can possibly do well, now I'm going to sing from that song sheet as well. It has been well worth every penny. But isn't there an argument to be made here that, of course, it's going to feel faster because you, you've basically just done a format and reinstall, which no. is going to make things feel no, faster it, anyway. It, no, it's an order of magnitude more than that, Mark. It is The machine starts up in about a quarter of the time. Apps snap open. Um, no, it is a, like an order of magnitude faster. Right, so basically for Christmas, from me to me, there's going to be an SSD ordered. Ah, okay. Well, at least, I know, at least I'm going to have an interesting break of uh, just backing things up. What else have we got in the news at the moment? Uh, so we'll, we'll, take, we'll go on to some Apple news. It's only you and me um, today, and we're both sort of feeling a bit sort of blurred, so we'll rattle on through things. Uh, what have we got here? Now, this is one I haven't seen this week. Apple claims it can gather data without violating the privacy of its users. Now, Straight away, my hat of paranoia comes on here because Amazon Prime have launched and they love to have data and stats, but Apple doesn't like to give out that data in stats. So this, if I was going to put on my conspiracy hat, these two things would seem to go together. So what's this story about then, Simon? Uh, well, what it's really about is uh, differential privacy, which is that, um, well, what? Uh, when they launched OS 10, uh, iOS 10, didn't they? Uh, Apple said that they were going to use differential privacy, um, which is a posh term for, uh, as this article puts it, studying the forest without seeing the individual trees. Of course, that blue sky thinking. <laughs> no, no, that's an actual metaphor. <laughs> Uh, the, do, we need, do we need to drill down into that one? Uh, well, no. Uh, the, the article is from Digital Trends, and basically what it says is that Apple are expanding the amount of data that they are going to gather. Uh, it is an opt-in. It is an opt-in. You have to say that you are happy for Apple to gather data from you, so there's no need to be overly paranoid. And uh, there's a link in the, in the Digital Trend uh, thing about Apple's full paper, and also they have a link to their own guide about how differential privacy work and if you're interested in that, I suggest you go and read it. Uh, but basically, it's anonymized data, isn't it? They're collecting data from Apple iOS users, but it's anonymized. They can't track it back to you. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the article now. I love the fact they've got two bar charts here with a load of emoticons down the bottom or emojis and then a percentage of users. But in the article, it doesn't actually say what this data is. It just says percentage of users and then all the different icons so i'm going to assume that somehow they know for example in 
uh, England, we use about 26% of us use the smiley, laughy emoji, and only 7% of us use the heart emoji. But in France, they use the smiley, laughy emoji 16% of the time and the heart a lot, lot more. Oh, there we are. There's some useful information that's probably taking up algebra or stuff. <laughs> Uh, also on Apple with their digital learning and differential doodads and this, Apple commits to recreate machine learning development tool to GitHub. Yes. Now, this this is, um, I found this quite interesting. This is uh, on Apple Insider, and Apple have committed their to recreate machine learning development tool to GitHub. Um, and building on its acquisition of the machine learning and AI specialist Turing, uh, Apple have submitted to recreate to GitHub. Now, this is a, a machine learning framework, and in the way of many of Apple things, it, it, effectively what they're what they're doing is is offering other developers a machine learning kit. So you don't, as a as a developer, if you want to use uh, machine learning or object detection or various other things that you can do with these kind of technologies, you don't have to either figure them out for yourself or build them from scratch. Apple are putting out this. Well, I guess it's a you know a kit. As I said, there's a bunch of tools which you can build into your own application in order to take advantage of some of these technologies. And uh, I think it's probably, um, I suspect it's probably tied to Apple's, you know, was it the neural network thing in the new chip and some of their other tools. Uh, was it Core ML? That's one of theirs, isn't it? The core, the core product for all, you know, Apple technologies which developers can leverage. So yeah, it, it's called the Turing cre Create, but I think you could probably call it Machine Learning Kit. It, to be honest. Uh, just goes to show that they are putting quite a lot of effort into all this machine learning and uh, all those sort of things. I, I do like the um, the example images here where they've managed to work out a flower pot and a vase and bananas as well, which is always handy. Uh, but it just sort of, I'm all for this machine learning, but well, I struggle to see the practical application of it. But then again, I struggle to see the practical application I think in most the, things. The point is that in time, you know, clever developers will put this stuff to all sorts of use. I mean, this here, yes, as you say, they've got some pictures where it's, you know, uh, it's been able to classify this is a bunch of bananas, you know, and so on. Um, but as it says here, Apple says this framework can be used to uh, create recommender systems, do image classification, object detection, acti activity classifiers, text classifying operations, and you can work with machine learning models through toolkits cl covering classifiers, regression, graph analyst, analysis, clustering, near neighbors, and topic models. Um, and if you know what most of that stuff is, I'm sure you're probably being paid way more than me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what it, what you know, obviously it's a toolkit so that developers of applications can, you know, make use of machine learning technologies without actually having to build them from the ground up themselves or necessarily even, you know, know vast quantities about how they work. They just yeah. plug them in. Um, like so many things, you know. Uh, we are all standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say. So that was that was uh, quite interesting, and expect to see a lot more machine learning type uh, things appearing in the future. As a result, I would say. Um, now we know last week was not a particularly good week, was it for Apple? Um, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but Johnny Ive is retaking control of the Apple design team after two years in the hands-off role. Well, it seems that the two guys who, you know, sort of were filling Johnny's shoes while he was off, well, pretty much doing the Apple spaceship, as far as I could tell, have been removed from the Apple uh, management team board, and that the the design team are now once again reporting directly to Johnny. So whether that means that uh, some well, people are Well, I'll tell you feeling... what this is. This is the uh, Apple's reaction to Notchgate. It's like, ah, get Johnny in. He can fix the notch and make it look decent. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. But anyway, Johnny has returned to the studio, possibly in a bad temper. I don't know. 
who who could tell? But <laughs> Jonathan Ive has returned to be hands-on head of design. So maybe, you know, things will tighten up a little. I don't know. We shall see. I don't know. If, I mean, are there any apps out there that sort of look a bit janky or don't function the way they should or anything like that? I, not that I can see, if I'm honest. It, it, so far, it seems to be... I think that yeah, I think there's a lot of people saying that you know things are drifting, that consistency is drifting, that the you know the user interface rules aren't always being adhered to as tightly as they should, and so on. Um, That you know, without a single obsessive person at the head making sure everything is perfect, stuff starts to drift. Ah. Me, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Johnny is a brilliant designer and all the rest, but, you know, he doesn't do all, you know, let's say Jonathan and I did this, this and this. He's in charge of a team of people, and I'm sure, you know, none of it is done by any one person. But as a, you know, as a figurehead... Yeah, it's, yeah, nobody knows quite what's going to happen with him coming back, but... Is it, I mean, was it just garden leave or did he just not want to be involved with the spaceship and it was like, well, we're going to be tied up with that. Does this mean we're going to get more apps? Who knows? It's it's odd that, I wouldn't want to call it, like say a crisis of confidence in a management team, but it, it sort of smells a little bit of when they brought back Phil Schiller into the fold. You know, he'd retired and went off, yeah, then you, came you don't back. Mean Phil. You don't mean Phil, do you? You mean Bob Mansfield. Oh, yes, that's the one. He retires, then he's, you know, I try to escape and they pull me back in. <laughs> But um, no, well, Johnny did. He didn't do really any more than say that he, the the team were no longer going to have to directly report to him. The whole original thing was to free him from administrative duties in order to concentrate on doing what he does, sitting in his white room pondering. But actually, I think what it really was was letting him free to be in charge of building the campus. And now the campus yeah. is done. You know, he feels that he's, uh, you know, probably, well, I've done, been there, done that. Now it's time to get back to work. So, well, I mean, it's, that's a, I suppose in any career, it's always good to have a little bit of a diversion. Uh, yeah, it, we'll, we shall see. We shall see. And blimey, we've actually got quite a bit of Apple news this week. It's it's quite a bit of shock. Uh, Apple had the uh, Apple patches HomeKit bug that left smart locks vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Well, oh dear. What What can we say? Um. <laughs> well, you know me, Internet of Things denier. You know, uh, refusenik of all home smart technologiness. Uh, of all the likely products that I might be tempted to put in my house, a smart lock is not one of them. It is the no. least likely Internet of Dumb Ideas product. Um, and as well as that, who was who was um, somebody was on the podcast the other day saying about how somebody managed to go outside to pick up a parcel and the doors locked behind them and they didn't have their key and they didn't have their phone. And they couldn't get in because they, you know, uh, because their smart lock was programmed only to let them in when they had their phone and blah, blah, blah. And it was all a terrible disaster and they had to break a window and climb in. <laughs> That's just like, yeah, see? I'm, I'm all for plugs. I'm all for meters and all that sort of stuff. But, no, when it, when it comes to a door, because there was a, oh, what was it? There was a video I watched the other day where... Um, these two guys hacked a BMW and basically one guy goes to the back of the car. One guy goes to the house. They both got a box and basically all it's doing is picking up the signal for the key, relaying it, doing something else, and then opens up the, um, opens up the older, uh, the BMW. So I'm thinking, well, if it's going to, if they can do that with the BMW, I ain't putting that lock on my house. The key, the Yale type key, or even, you know, your more traditional mortars type key, is a tried and true technology, and it's small and portable, and it works bloody well. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, right, what time are we? I'll tell you, we've been going for half an hour, so before we go into all the technology, news about Patreon, and a few other bits and bobs that have cropped up on our radar, we're going to take a quick break, go and get a drink, and we'll be right back after Nemo's Hardware Store. So, John, over to you.
One impressive speaker and then two sets of iPhone cases this week on Nemo's hardware store. Speaker comes from a highly regarded company that I was not previously familiar with, even though I've seen them out and about. Company is called Soundcast, S-O-U-N-D-C-A-S-T. Speaker is called the VG1 High Performance Wireless Audio. Has a user manual in several languages, very impressive box and packaging. It includes one short cable each for audio input and also for USB micro charging. Their website is gosoundcast.com. And then the specific site is gosoundcast.com slash VG1. The VG1 is a portable waterproof Bluetooth speaker. The Take Anywhere Everywhere Premium Waterproof Speaker. It's shaped in an unusual diamond, elongated diamond shape. Very rugged, very solid, with heavy-duty metal screws into a dense plastic rubber casing with speaker grills on the front and the back. When I turn it on, here's the power. Immediately the Bluetooth light starts flashing. Then I can pair it with Bluetooth, and then I can play it. I can take phone calls. I can make the volume louder or quieter. I can use it for Skype or FaceTime. It's a versatile Bluetooth rugged waterproof speaker. Comes with a nice strap for carrying it around so you don't lose it. And it's about six, seven inches across and then about two and a half inches high and deep. So you could put it in a large pocket if you want to set it out by your pool or your campsite at your school or your lab, wherever you happen to be. Sound is loud, it's robust, it's good, it's not audiophile quality. The sound is concentrated in the mid-range with a reasonable treble and bass, but it's plenty loud and it will provide enjoyment for any party or any outdoor situation, indoors or outdoors, especially with its quality build and its waterproof rating. Price in the U.S. is a little more than $100, $109 up to $149. So look for competitive pricing in the country where you happen to be listening to the Soundcast VG1 Go Anywhere speaker. A company that we've had cases from before is called Hex. Their website is hexbrand.com, H-E-X-B-R-A-N-D, hexbrand.com. They have a new collection of iPhone X or iPhone 10 cases, quite a few with the top prices being $60 and the lower ones being around $40 in the U.S., They said I could request any cases I want, so I chose two. The Hex Icon Wallet for iPhone. I got two different versions of that. One is a beautiful brown leather Icon Wallet for iPhone X for $50. And the other is a snake embossed leather Icon Wallet for iPhone X. Let's look at the snake case first. Remove it from the packaging. I'm not sure if it ever actually came off of a snake, but it has a very substantial and beautiful leather interior, and it has a greenish teal accent on the outside. Their trademark is Timeless Products for Modern Living from Hex Brand. When I take out the dummy insert, I can put my iPhone 10 or iPhone X in there, and it has three little slots for a wallet for your cards, bus pass, money, and stuff like that. It's quite slimline, even though it's a folio case with a full front and back cover, camera port on the back, and then the power and sleep port on the outside. Your volume ports are going to be accessed when it's open. Then a very nice, thick, elastic band to keep it closed. So it's a folio leather case with an elastic band to keep it shut. That's the snake embossed leather icon wallet for the iPhone X from hexbrand.com. Its companion is exactly the same design. Beautiful brown leather folio style case with a full wrap around and then this really snug elastic band to keep it shut. So please look at their cases. They're stylish, very stable, very good grip on your phone. And if you want a folio case that really stays shut with that snap band, consider Hex brand cases for the iPhone 10. The other cases come from a company that we have had products from before, Silk Innovation. Their website is silksmartish.com. I couldn't have made that up. S-I-L-K-S-M-A-R-T-I-S-H.com. 
and that crackling noise is the outer wrapping on the four cases that we received. The folio wallet case, the slim wallet case, the slim case, and the tough case. And I have used and reviewed and given as gifts these cases previously. They're extraordinarily good value. So when I go to shop now, phones, iPhone 10, for instance, their most expensive case is $25. The cue card case for the iPhone X Wallet Slayer Volume 2. And at the other extreme is their base grip for only $12. So we've got prices from the $12 to $25 range, extremely reasonable for the iPhone 7, 8, and 10. So look at their collections for all three of the current iPhones, and you will see the good product, good pricing, very well made, and extremely competitive as far as getting the goods out at a fair cost. Thanks for listening. Back next week. Thank you, John, for another Nemo's Hardware Store. Of course, you can find John over at MyMac.com where he does a huge, huge amount of work there. Of course, you'll be able to hopefully find it this week with our show art. The good people of Pinecast who host the show for us, well, we paid them, they do our hosting, I should say, have been working with us so that our show and chapter art will actually work. So this means, hopefully, right now, you maybe will see an Amazon sign with a link. And if you click on that, that should hopefully take you to Amazon. And if you buy anything at all, because we are reaching that time of the year, you'll be helping to support the show by giving us a very, very small amount of kickback that we get from those of you who shop at Amazon. And if you can, remember, support local because those local shops need your help. And, of course, there's a Patreon link. And thank you very, very much to our subscribers. And thank you to Chris as well for the message that you sent me on Patreon who brought up an interesting point. As I said at the top of the show, Patreon pretty much don't want people like this, like us anymore. They only want the big players. And this has caused a bit of consternation, shall we say. What's your take on this, Simon? Do you want to run us through the... Um, well, uh, yeah, this, well... This comes from the bit, doesn't it? Where Patreon defines new pricing after user uproar. Yes. Uh, well, what it is, is that... As I understand it, the whole selling point of Patreon was that by aggregating all of your, um, you know, donations, they could then process them as one lump, and thus not, you know, if you're if you're donating a dollar, you don't want the fees to take most of it, so that the person you're trying to support only ends up with, you know, ten ten cents. Now, um, Patreon have now said that actually they're going to process every donation individually and there's a minimum fee of 35p. So if you're donating a dollar or a pound, um, a third of that is going in fees straight away. And then uh, Patreon are going to take a 5% rake off anyway, which I mean, you know, I don't particularly begrudge that. They're a service. They have to make money somehow. And uh, they've basically openly said that they're not really interested in small fry or people with only a few followers who donate very small amounts of money. They're only really interested in big players who make... apparently life-changing amounts of money via Patreon, um, which I think they're defining as enough money to quit your job and live on. Uh, but that's not what most podcasters uh, do, is it? No, Very and... many of us, you know, most podcasters, like us, like Bart, like many other people, uh, like Carl, have a Patreon merely to say, if you like what we do, you know, bung me a couple of quid and it will go towards the hosting and, and various other costs. Um, and that was Patreon's selling point. And they appear to have now basically turned around, stuck two fingers up to most, most of their customers and said, we don't want you. You're too small fry for our, you know, you're nothing but a pain in the backside to us. Um, and this has upset a lot of people. And not only, I have to say, uh, little, you know, little podcasts like ours, but quite a few big names have 
retorted quite, uh, you know, angrily that everybody started somewhere and, you know, I might be a big podcast and I might rake in, you know, 50 grand a year now, but I started in my bedroom, uh, you know, with people sending me a quid. So uh, I think they may well have shot themselves well and truly in the foot and then shoved their foot right into their mouth because I, I get the distinct impression and awful, uh, for a start, a lot of people are, are abandoning Patreon, which means some people who, you know, are losing a lot of uh, patrons. Uh, Joy of Tech, for example, Snaggy tells me that after the announcement, he lost 13 patrons in a day because people were just going, well, if if my, you know, if 30% of what I'm sending you is going to be eaten up, it's not worth doing it. So No, and we've had that as well. Uh, one of the uh, Chris, I shall mention the last name, I don't know if I should do or not. Um, he said as well, you know, that, can we look at you know, he's asking my bank details so i'm hoping it's legit um he said yeah i i don't want to support you via he wants to support us but not via patreon just because of what well, it's just sort of seems a little bit unfair i think is the right way to say that mm. well anyway they as far as i can see they've really basically just dumped on a large percentage of their users or customers take it how you how you will um, and I think the backlash is going to be pretty violent and if you look at Twitter and such like people are, are posting suggestions for alternatives and uh, I think there's a bit of a, a wave of it doesn't really matter whether you're a big player or a small player if that's Patreon's attitude we should all basically dump on them and jump ship and that will teach them a bloody lesson. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's one of those things, though, isn't it? Where like Patreon is so so well known, it's almost like, yeah, well, we're big well, enough to do this. Yeah, but you, you say that, Mark. I mean, you know, when did Patreon kind of come on the scene? I don't really remember hearing much about it. More than what a year and a half, two years ago, I guess I started hearing people talking about Patreon. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't the sort of de facto. How to? How do I help you people? Until probably a little over a year ago. So it's it's grown very rapidly from something that nobody'd heard of. Um, and I'm very much of of the opinion that yeah, if that's their attitude, they can go <coughs> themselves. Thank you. And we yeah, should and find someone else to do it for us. Yeah, because... I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Where it's you know shows like us, we don't get much in the way of um uh, of donations. Because that's just the way of the world. It takes a very, very long time to build up and get all that stuff going. But every little penny helps. And But it amazes me, in a way, like, you know, why haven't PayPal sort of jumped on this? I mean, this would be right up in the wheelhouse. And having to look for, and it becomes a trust thing then, because you see all these little startup-y uh, donation places. And you think, you know, it's that thing of... You're small, and I don't know if I want to trust you. Yeah, there is that. Um, I mean, one that's being touted, of course, is is Drip, which is by Kickstarter. That's an alternative. Um, which is only uh, which is a private beta at the moment. Which that would be quite nice if we get onto that one. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, but uh, having read what I read uh, about this Patreon debacle, uh, my hackles were raised, and I was immediately of the opinion, well, screw you, then. Um, you know, I shall suggest to Mark that we up sticks and move somewhere else. Yeah, which which I think we're going to do. It's that horrible, horrible thing, though, is that. I think whenever you move platforms, you've got to have one hell of a following because you've got to hope that they come with you. And it, I suppose a lot of sites may rely on the fact that people forget about them and they just get that sort of dribble of income from them. Mm, well, that is, that is possible. But in our case, you know, we have a very small number of patrons and i'm sure if we ask them nicely to change from patreon to whatever platform we change to they will they will do so for us so you um, know. we love each and every, every one, one of them, of them. because yeah, because it's like I said, it's only a small amount, but it it doesn't really matter. It's just the whole principle. It's just nice to know that people out there will just do something nice, and hopefully they get a small amount of entertainment from the nonsense that we push out per week. Yeah, indeed. 
Uh, right. Um, where are we going to go next? Uh, right. So, yes, you can still find us on the Patreon. If you look for a central Apple on Patreon, we will be moving soon. Uh, it's going to be about a week or so for us to sort of work out where we're going to go and what we're going to do uh, and work out what platform will let us do the more exclusive content uh, and things like that. Uh, so let's move on to some tech news then. Uh, Qualcomm, well, they're still in business. The They've got an upgrade to the 835 processor, snappily titled the 845. <laughs> uh, it's going to protect your phone more than ever. And what seems to be the thing here is that it's faster, but they're really playing on the fact that the uh, it's it's more based around LTE from what I've been looking at. Uh, well, the the main uh, focus of the of the point in in the article about it's more secure than ever is effectively that with people you know becoming ever more aware of uh, data security. Uh, the eight four five has um, I forget what they call it the secure processing unit. I think in effect yep. it's a secure enclave. Right, they're going down the same route as Apple and building a secure enclave um, where where data is stored, stuff that does not leave the phone. So, you know, your fingerprint, your face ID, your credit card number or whatever. Um, that is the, I mean, it's a newer, faster chip, but with better graphics and all the rest of it. But um, yes, it's called the secure processing unit. And it, I mean, even in the article, they even actually say, following in Apple's footsteps. Uh, no, it, it's, well, I, and in this case, it's not, a, I wouldn't describe it as stealing as basically. Insp- heavily inspired Well, by. I think it's a case of taking a good idea and running with it. You know, it's going to be pretty soon. Phones that don't have that kind of technology are going to be, you know, only mugs would buy such a phone. You know what I mean? Uh, are you are you looking forward to this batch of ARM-based Windows 10 laptops? Uh, is, does that inspire you at all uh, um, in the world of ARM? Um, do you know what? I think Gruber said something about this, and it's not that the technology itself isn't cool or can't be worked, but um, he kind of said something along the lines of, if if uh, Microsoft are not going to 100% commit to it, then it's dead in the water. Um, well, it, it, it's a little bit like the, oh, what was it? The um, oh, Surface RT. That had all the potential of being something special, but where it failed was the fact that Windows is synonymous with being Windows. And I know that sounds a bit, a bit daft. Yeah, but... well, the, pro- the problem with RT was it was... It wasn't Windows, or it wasn't desktop Windows. It was a. It was like you know. It was the difference between iOS and Mac OS. However, they didn't make that clear to people, so people were going out buying them and then finding they could only run the special RT apps. And which then, were, yeah, which was horrendous. Um, but in in this case, I think I agreed with the with the analysis, which was yeah, this is great, and you know, Apple have proved more than once that you can put in an emulation layer to cope with the transition from one technology to another. Um, you know, they did it between 68K and uh, Power Macintosh. They did it between Power Macintosh and uh, x86. But Apple committed to it 100% and then basically got on to their developers and said, this is what's happening and, you you know, you have to run with it. Um, I think the problem here could well be that, as Gruber is, you know, implying, if Microsoft do not 100% commit to this and say, this is what we're going to do, if it's just another alternative, it's going to wither on the vine. It almost smacks me of, well, everyone's talking about ARM on a laptop. We should do ARM on a laptop. Yeah. And, and it just makes you think about Intel. I mean, what was it now? Intel have dropped the Atom CPU, I think it is now. So they're just concentrating on, you know, the big boys. So I don't know. It just, I mean, I it's one of those things. I, I could see if somebody committed to it and said, right, this x86 architecture that we're using is you know, what, 30 years old now? And perhaps it's time we, you know, cut and run and went in a new direction. And if somebody really went that and went at it hammer and tongs, 
you could possibly make a breakthrough and that could then become the de facto standard that everybody was working to. But unless you can do that, unless you can reach that tipping point, I think it's doomed. Yeah. Because only a few people will support it and, you know, you get all the usual thing and then Microsoft won't bother to keep updating it properly and and, uh, and then it just withers and dies. That's just how it is. Uh, I, I like the idea, but I can't see it going anywhere. I could be horribly wrong, but I just I just don't think that Microsoft are the sort of company who will put the shoulder behind the wheel and commit to it. It will be, well, you can have this or you can have that. You can do this thing and you can do that thing. And we all know what happens there on the whole. You know, the, the tried and true method carries on and the other one withers away. Exactly. And I don't necessarily think that Microsoft are in a position like Apple are to be able to work so close with the hardware to be able to get things like better battery life and standby time and all those sort of things. It, it just makes me think, where what is the goal here? Where do they want to go? Is it because Intel have dropped making you know, their lower-end CPUs? Uh, AMD, God bless them, they're still um, chundering along nicely, and the Ryzen chips from all the geeky people that I've seen aren't too bad. But it's just, you just kind of think, why? Again, so I think people are going to be fairly burnt by the Surface RT, even though that was you know, quite a while ago now. Uh, and I think it's HP or the what is the laptop that I saw this week, and I'm thinking, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that benchmark, but benchmarks only tell half the stories, like how fast is it? Well, that's something, but let's face it, if you if you use a Windows PC and it's going to have an ARM processor, it's pretty much going to be out there with the Word, Excel, Office 365, um, maybe watching YouTube videos on it. It's definitely not pitched to that. It'll be interesting to see. Just where is the where is the aim here? Where are they going? And I think Microsoft now, for me, you know, they've dabbled so much with this, that, and the other that I don't I, know. I, th- I, I think my my confidence is done with them a bit on hardware. I like I like the idea, and I I kind of see where it's going. I think the idea is what they're picking up on is these kind of Chromebook type things. Yeah, and and saying, well, those those are doing well. Maybe we could take that technology, but make it more fully featured and so it's it's but again you know you're running into netbook territory aren't you yeah let's let's cut this that and the other off and try you know we've shaved the price down and they look great and they seem brilliant and then everybody has one and it because it's it's cheap yeah, and it seems brilliant and then you horrible, find out though. that they... it's horrible well, they were always horrible because they always failed on the one thing that was the keyboard and all right, yes, you can then plug an external keyboard. Well, you kind of start missing the point then. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, but you just plug this in. No, that's kind of not what I want to well, do. Well, and of course, the net, the netbooks really, they got slaughtered by the, by the smartphone. Yeah, exactly. The smartphone exactly. came along and said, well, if you're going to have something, you know, what are you actually using a netbook for most of the time? Going yeah. online. Well, why don't we put that in your phone with a decent display and a decent interface and oh, all of a sudden, you know, netbooks become totally redundant. Yeah, a bigger screen and it's portable, but then you start going into well, it's it's a tablet yeah. sort of thing. I, I was I was never a fan of the of the netbooks. They that was one of the biggest fads and lest we forget Apple were doomed unless they released a, uh, a netbook. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. They did, though, of course, didn't they? It was called the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I would love one of the new iPads. I really would. Uh, but there we are. Uh, right, I think we'll go for one more story then. Do you do you want to pick the final one to take us out with? Uh, well, I, I think probably we should say we should talk about Affinity Photo then, shouldn't we? Uh, Affinity oh, Photo yes. for iPad has won the best iPad app of 2017. Um, and as a result, Affinity are, are or were, I don't know, having a half price flash sale. So I don't know how long that lasts. Do you know how long that's uh, good for, Mark? No. Uh, so it, I know it's still going on now at the time of recording on Sunday the 10th of December. Uh, but I gifted it. Um, 
they don't make it easy, do they? If you're on an iPhone, you can't buy the app to give to someone. Right. I kind of understand why, but if I mean, how would you do it? I mean, you can't actually buy if you haven't got an iPad and you want to gift an app to someone. How on earth would you do that? I suppose you'd have to use the desktop. But anyway, um, I got it. I gifted it to a friend of mine. He's going to do some artwork, and I will be blatantly. Um, Display it on the website. All right. According to this, uh, the editing app was awarded the accolade by Apple's App Store editors six months after the iPad version was in, unveiled at the WW, uh, you know, DC. The offer allows users to download the app for £9.99 until midnight on Saturday, December the 8th, apparently. So unless they've extended it, it's possibly over. Oh, don't. Oh, it's not like us to be off the pace, is it? Um, I would I would love to use that app. A uh, word of warning, though, if you are going to get it, please pay attention to the compatibility list. Because if you're like me and you're on the original iPad Air, you're going to be out of luck. It ain't going to work. Or maybe it does work and not all the features are supported. It doesn't make it abundantly clear. So maybe, uh, yes. You have been warned, uh, but I would, I'm going to go off and do some YouTube reviewing on it later on and see what it's like and see if one day I can go and play with the iPad Pro. Oh, God, that reminds me. I've got to go to Cardiff and go to an Apple store next week. Oh, don't want to do it. I know exactly it. what's going to happen. Keep Walk calm. In, spend two Keep hours calm there. and call, call support, Mark. Keep calm. Call support. I've done that, and they're all useless. All of them. <laughs> oh, every single time i go in and you get some hipster there with a bloody great big hole in their ear and a nose ring it's like look i'm gonna tell you everything that you're gonna tell me in the next 20 minutes and they go oh yeah yeah okay yeah well thanks for telling that we just need to go through a few things and then proceed to take me through everything i've done i'm just gonna go in there with it well that's it i can't back it up because that's the problem uh, and say, look, it's already formatted. It's on the latest thing. You try and back it up. Have you created a new Apple ID? I will do that now and prove it to you. Just give me a goddamn new iPad. Might say, and I was just saying before the show that my blood pressure had come down. <laughs> right. And I think on that note, let's get out of here. It's Sunday. There is cooking to be done. I'm going to try cooking a Sunday lunch. I'm, I'm, I think we might make a segment of slow cooker talk. Because <laughs> that, that seemed to go down well last week. Uh, yes, again, thank you very much for listening. It's just been me and Simon this week. We've got the Christmas special coming up. Uh, I will be booking the Monday off of work. Uh, and let's just say... Well, you won't need I to, will, will you? Um... It'll be Christmas Day. No, not next week. No, the Christmas special is on the 24th, Mark. Is it, it, yes, I knew that, he says. We're going to have a Christmas party podcast on the 24th. It's just going to be me, Guy, or Gaz, or Gaz and Guy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, the, only, the, the only one thing I can guarantee is that one of us is going to be paralytic. Very <laughs> paralytic. All <laughs> oh, right, and I think on that note, let's get out of it. Simon, if they want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? What other ways can they chat to us? Uh, well, the best way to get hold of me, of course, is to contact me on the Twitter, and I am at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, I do do the Google Plus occasionally um, on the Essential Apple, and uh, there's our Slack room, of course. Which you have to contact us for an invitation. Yeah, which is nonsense, really. It's just like, ugh. why haven't they got an API or a button for that yet? Why can't we just send them to our website? I'm starting to sound cranky again. I needed a cup of tea. Uh, yes, you can get hold of me via Essential Apple. If you want to follow what I'm up to in the world, it's at Ocean Speed. And of course, we've got EssentialApple.com. Once again, thank you very much. Remember that we do have an Amazon affiliate link. I'm working on that today. Please go to our website, EssentialApple.com. You'll see the show there at the top. And that'll have all the links to Nemo's hardware store and everything that's been mentioned. And that's it. So until next week, we will see you soon. Take it easy, everyone. Bye. Today, I'm talking about iPhone 7 Plus. I recently got a iPhone 7 Plus um, as a kind of you know a new phone 
basically, because um, the phone I had recent or previously, sorry, was the iPhone 6. But the problem with that was my dad had it before I had it. So it was old, it was a bit slow, it was, it wasn't the greatest. So I got a new phone and I'm in love. The dual camera, the speed, it's, it's great. I love the portrait mode on it. It's everything I had wished for and more. I constantly take pictures on the portrait mode, send them to my dad and usually he likes them. And if not, he gives me, um, criticism, you know, which is good. I improve, I send them the improved version, and, you know, I like it, I do, um, the speed is great, the colour, um, of everything, like, the lighting, the colours on the screen, the cameras, both front and back, the microphone, the speakers are great, they're very, very loud compared to my old speak, my old phone, um, which, I don't know whether it's because it's old or because it was the iPhone 6, um, it's, like I said, it's very speedy and reactive to pretty much everything. Um, there's a few apps which I've noticed have changed, but I'm not sure whether it's because of the apps or the phone. But that's pretty much it that I have to say. Thank you for watching, and hopefully I'll be here next week on Melon's Mainland. We are part of the MyMac.com podcasting network, where you can find such excellent shows as Guy and Gaz on the MyMac show, Tim and David on the Tech Fan show, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, uh, the excellent Bart Bouchotts with his Let's Talk, The Club Nintendo, and many, many more. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go, wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.